So I just love music. And there's something about singing a song. It brings back memories. It sets a tone. It sets a mood. And then when you put that song with visuals, it's powerful. So that's why I have chosen to show you video clips of songs about the cross as another way of putting it before us. So let's just start at the very best place to start. Let's start at that cross of love.
no, many, no matter how many times I see that particular video, when it gets toward the end and it shows the lamb that's bound on the altar, that just gets me every time. And I'm wondering, um, in the course of three days of looking at the cross, is there anything that has kind of gotten you? Is there, we have a few minutes if you would share something that God has shown to you, something that's new to you, something about the cross that you knew, that you forgot, a phrase, a clip, part of the video. Any, anyone want to share? Okay. Looking at him while he's being crucified. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Okay, he said the, when the video shows Jesus' mother as she's watching him being crucified, that that is meaningful to him. Yes. Okay. The cup of the wrath of God and what that entails. That every sin ever committed, stuff that we say, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about child pornography. I'm talking about prostitution. I'm talking about all of these God-awful, can I say that in the pulpit? All these God-awful sins that he drank for you and me. That, that's the cup of God's wrath. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. He said the act of, the look of absolute pleasure on the guards as they're beating Jesus and how that today people just hate him, just love to put him down, love to stomp on the cross, love to stomp on the cross of the Christ, love, the Christ of the cross, love to stomp on Christians. Anything else? Yes. Okay, okay. You are so welcome. She said that she memorized Isaiah 53 as a child, but when we talked about it in detail, it came alive to her and it made more sense. You know, the, we bring our kids to church and we want to get the truth in them, and they're not always going to get it. But you know what? As adults, we don't always get it on the first time either. So it's so good to go back and revisit and to um, look at it from fresh eyes. And now you're at a different stage of life. And so you look at the cross, you look at Isaiah 53, you look at some of these passages that are so familiar, but now they're new. And they mean more, they should mean more to us now than ever before. Okay, there's two more. Yay, go ahead. Yep. Christ's absolute submission to the will of the Father without fighting back, his total and complete surrender is amazing. Yes.
Yeah. Yeah. That all the suffering, all the sorrow, all he went through was settled in Gethsemane. And that's where the true battle was fought for him. And it was won for us at Calvary. And of course, I, I, I need to remind you this. I don't really need to, but we're talking about the, the cross this week. But of cro as I was reminded this morning, without the, without the resurrection, the cross really doesn't mean a whole lot. So when I talk about the finished work of Christ, that includes the resurrection, the ascension, and he sits as our intercessor. But today we're looking at, this week we're looking at the detail, detail, details of the cross. Yes, sir. I feel silly repeating, but I like to follow instructions. <laughs> he said the fact that the word of the line in the song says it had to be a cross of love. There was no other way. But that just reminds us that this is the, the expression of the love of God in Christ like par excellence. There's no other way. There's no other love. It's so amazing to think about. So we've seen that the Passover foreshadows the cross, that it's God's judgment on sin and his redemption through the blood of the lamb. That was the first day. Then we saw that Isaiah the prophet foretells the cross, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that bought, brought you and I peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed because he's our substitute. He stood in our place. And the gospel that we looked at yesterday, the gospels record the cross itself, and Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath, becoming sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we could be reconciled because we have a redeemer who redeemed us from the slavery of sin. And so now, what after, what after the Gospels, what happens next? Well, I've, I've said, I think, earlier this week that the disciples never got over the cross. Everywhere Paul went, he would reason with them in the synagogues, and then when they kicked him out, he would reason with the Gentiles, and he was teaching them from the Old Testament, and he was talking about Jesus Christ. The disciples were never, ever the same. And their message never, ever changed. It was Jesus Christ and him crucified. But how easy it is for us to forget. How easy it is for we in the church to get all divided, to have all these issues, to have strife, to have factions, to be battling battles that we really probably should not have to be battling because we forget the cross. And so that's where we're going today. No, we're not. Not yet, because I didn't give you the context. Got to have a context first, right? Oh, okay, here's the context. We're going to end up in, in 1 Corinthians in a minute. Give you a brief history, which you guys know this. After the Gospels, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Bible doesn't stop. There's more, right? And so we have this opportunity to look ahead in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascended back to the Father. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates, verse 7 of Acts chapter 1. The Father has set by his own authority 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and Jesus is commissioning them, look, I'm going back to heaven, my job for you, my time with you is over, but your job for me is now going to start. You will be my witnesses. You are the ones who saw me. You are the ones who lived with me. You are the ones who heard me. You're the ones that I invested myself in and so now you're going to be my witnesses. But you're still lacking something. You're still lacking something. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because Jesus himself in the flesh left. But what did he do? He sent another with a capital A just like him. The counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the one who comes beside them to fill them and enable them. And that is what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. After the day of Pentecost, Peter was a transformed man. Chapters 3 through 7 in the book of Acts tell about Peter's ministry. Chapter 8 in the book of Acts speaks of Paul's conversion. Chapter 9 in the book of Acts, I'm sorry, that's wrong, speak of Paul's conversion. Paul's missionary journeys start in chapter 13 of Acts. On Paul's second missionary journey, he comes to, which is in chapter 18 of Acts. Chapter 18 of Acts, Paul's on his second missionary journey. He comes to Corinth. Corinth is a thriving commercial city. It's a typical Greek culture. It's highly religious, believe it or not. There are at least 12 pagan temples in the city. And we know, what our culture does not know is that you can be spiritual and you can be 150,000 trillion million miles from God. Being spiritual or being religious doesn't mean anything. We need Jesus. The most famous of these temples was to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so what went on in, in worship of her was something called religious prostitution. That you worshiped God by going and having sexual intercourse with the temple prostitute. This was a very immoral city, open and unbridled sexual immorality was going on in this place. At one time, the commentators tell me, there were over 1,000 sacred prostitutes. Now there's a, you know, definite, there's a misnomer. They were sacred prostitutes. Over 1,000 of them served there. And the Greeks, actually, it was so prevalent, it was so widespread that there beca it became a verb to Corinthianize. To Corinthianize meant to practice sexual immorality. If somebody called you a Corinthian girl, they were calling you a prostitute. And Paul went there. Paul wasn't afraid to go where the wickedness, where the evil was. He went there preaching, and he went there teaching. And what was his message? It was the message of the cross. And after Paul spent his time there, he later writes them two letters because perhaps he was afraid they had forgotten the cross. It was kind of a mixed-up, messed-up congregation. There was stuff going on that would just, you know, make your head spin. And yet it was going on in the church. But before we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I have another video for you. And I just got to tell you this. 
you're in for a treat. So here is the next video. I'm gonna try to do my best to sing um, an acapella song called Near the Cross. Feel like clapping after you hear that? 
that little girl, oh my goodness, um, that's the Trinity River Band, and we discovered them in looking for YouTube videos, but my precious husband, who put this all together for me, is actually taking me down to Dayton, Ohio this weekend because they're singing in a Baptist church on Sunday night and we're going to hear them. So I am so excited about that. I am so excited about that. I love that song. I love that rendition. But I got to tell you, I'm just an eensy, teensy bit disappointed. Why would I be disappointed? Because she skipped the third verse. Do you know what the third verse of that song is? It says this. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. You see, you and I who have come to Christ by faith, who believe in the, Christ of, the cross of Christ, have been called to live in the shadow of the cross. So everything that we do should be done in the shadow of the cross. Bring its scenes before me. What if we just remembered the cross as we went to work? What if we just remembered the cross as we went about our business to the grocery store, interacting with our kids, with our spouses, with our grandkids? What if we just remembered the cross when we went to church on Sunday morning? Would things look a little different? This is very meaningful and very personal to me. But I always think of this, that line, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. I always think about that when I watch the Hollywood version of the story of Jimmy Braddock. Have you ever seen the film Cinderella Man? Jimmy Braddock, in the story, Jimmy's a prize fighter during the Depression. And things are hard, times are hard, and he's lost some fights, and now they don't have any money. And so now they're turning off the electricity in the apartment. And so now the kids are being farmed out to the relatives. And so now he sees his wife with the milk bottle pouring the water into the milk to make it stretch. And so now he's got to go to work on the docks, and his little girl is hungry, and so his one piece of fried bologna, that's his, his breakfast, Daddy, I'm hungry. She gives, he gives it to her, her, his daughter. And so Jimmy, in the fight, in, this, in the show, my goodness, you guys, pray for me. I am tripping over my words today. He has an opportunity to go back for a fight. He has an opportunity to kind of be a comeback fight. And in the, in the scene, and they play it out in the movie, you know, he's taking a real beating. He's taking a beating, he's being pummeled, he's being beaten, but he won't give up and he won't give up and he keeps standing up and he somehow keeps his balance, probably because he had the right shoes on, right, Lee? He kept his balance. And as he's being beaten and as this guy's just pounding on him, these scenes keep playing out in his mind. And the scenes are his wife running water into the milk to make it stretch a little farther. His, the scenes playing out are the beds that are now empty where the kids used to sleep, but now they have to live with the relatives because the relatives have food. His scenes in his mind are the electricity that's been cut off and you go to the switch to turn it on and it won't come on. And the scenes in his mind is the milk, his wife pouring water into the milk. And Jimmy won the fight. He won the fight. And there's, a, you know, flashbulbs going off and the reporters after their, afterwards, and he's like, what was the difference? What made the difference, Jimmy? What were you fighting for this time? And he gets a sheepish grin and he says, 
milk. <laughs> I was fighting for milk. <gasps> the scenes from his family was what kept him in the fight. Jimmy Braddock knew exactly what he was fighting for. And this time and in this place and this fight, it wasn't for glory. It wasn't for fame. It wasn't to make a name for himself. It was just to keep his family alive and to keep them together. Knowing what we are fighting for makes all the difference. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we got to know what we're fighting for. We're not fighting for our own opinions. We are not fighting that others will become converts to our opinions. We are fighting for the cross of Jesus Christ. But we need God, the Holy Spirit, to bring its scenes before us. The cross impacts all that we are and all that we do as believers. And we, you and I, even today, are privileged and honored and called to live every day in the shadow of the cross. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look there at the calling of the cross. The calling of the cross is to be in fellowship with God through his Son. Paul is called to be an apostle of the Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and all ours. Paul's calling himself was to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has been called to be an apostle. In its broadest sense, the word apostle just means one who is sent. All of us as believers are sent by God to do his will. God sent me to Bayshore Camp for the very first time this year so that I might do his will because I'm his messenger. I'm, in the broadest sense, an apostle. In the narrowest sense of the word, there's only 12. Judas, who betrayed Jesus Christ, was replaced by Matthias. In Acts 1, the qualifications for becoming an apostle to replace Judas, they had to have been with Jesus the entire time of his ministry, beginning with John the Baptist, right up into the ascension. The original 12 plus Matthias then encounter the risen Christ personally and are specifically chosen to carry the name of Christ and the cross of Christ to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the people of Israel. So the call of Christ is personal. He called Peter and Andrew and they left their nets. He called Matthew a tax collector and he called Paul a persecutor of the church. They were called. But the Corinthians also had a calling in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. In this Las Vegas type city of the ancient world, God had called out some to be his very own. In that huge city of vices, there was a church. And the church then and today was made up of individuals who've heard the gospel, who've responded to the gospel, who believed the gospel. It's the gospel, the good news, that answers the bad news. Sometimes someone will say, hey, Bonnie, i got to tell you something. i got some good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? 
I always want the bad news first so I can end on a good note. So the bad news first is this, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no one righteous, no one who can do enough good things to enter heaven. The bad news is that going to church, being a church member, being baptized, tithing, being a good person cannot save you. The bad news is there is no such thing as a cosmic scale with good on one side, what you did good and what you did bad on the other side. And if what you're good outweighs it, you're good. It doesn't exist. That's the bad news. God is just and God is holy and he is absolutely perfect without sin, without flaw, without spot. And our sin, your sin and my sin is an affront to his holiness. It's an affront to his perfection. And sin is something that God cannot tolerate. And we need to quit playing around with our sins as believers. Like in the olden days, you get on the stagecoach, you're going out west, you're in the coach, you're bouncing along, you know, and you're going around the mountain. Okay, so on one side of you is the mountain, you're in the coach. The other side is the steep valley. Where do you want that coach driver to drive you? Close to the edge as possible or close to the mountain as possible? When we play around with our sin, we are driving on the edge. And we better watch out, we're going to fall off and take a tumble. But when we stay close to the rock that is Christ, we'll be in a much safer position to navigate through this life. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. God has made a way for you and I to be in right relationship with himself, a way to have fellowship with himself, a way to be forgiven, a way to be not just forgiven, but a way to be adopted into his family to be called a son and a daughter of God. He sent Jesus to accomplish this, our perfect and sinless Lord, our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. The cross of Christ, therefore, is the center point in history. All the Old Testament looks forward to it, and all the rest looks back. Even Paul himself looked back to that center point in history. The place where the Lamb of God was slain for the sin of the world, the place where God's wrath and God's justice meet his love. It had to be a cross of love. And the good news or the gospel is the truth. It's the truth about God. It's the truth about sin. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. And it's the truth about man's reasonable response to these previous truths. Paul writes to them, Verse 3, grace and peace. So, because of the cross, Paul could write grace and peace. Because we are saved, we have peace with God and peace with one another. And Paul's thankful. In, in verses 4 through 9, he is so thankful to them. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. Thus God has confirmed our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called into fellowship. Don't you get that? 
Paul's so thankful that he wasn't the only one who had received God's grace. These were people that he had preached to. He had got up and said some things, and these people had responded. And so he was so grateful that they too were recipients of God's grace. God had enriched their lives in every way. They didn't lack any spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, spiritual gifts was a big problem in the church in Corinth. It had gotten out of hand because they had all the gifts there. They weren't all operating according to the way that Paul said they should. They're waiting for the Lord's return. They would be kept firm to the end because God would keep them. God would keep them because God called them into fellowship and God is faithful. So what do we say? What do we learn from this? The cross makes relationship with God possible. The cross makes it possible. So here we are at this camp. Many of us, I know, most all of us probably have been born again a long time, members of the church, but I can't take any of that for granted. So I have to ask you, and I have to ask myself, in what ways might you be basing your relationship with God on something other than the cross? Are you basing it on being a pretty good person? Are you basing it because you know a lot of scripture, because you serve in the choir? Let me tell you something, my friends. If you're pretty good and I'm pretty good, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? We are not basically good who just do a few bad things. We are depraved and wicked and evil, and no one can know the depths of the depravity of the human heart. In what ways? Does the cross overshadow the way that you live and I live? In what way am I walking in the shadow of the cross? In what way are you? The cross makes relationship with God possible. The calling of the cross is a call to repentance. It's a call to faith in Jesus Christ. The cross calls us to fellowship, to relationship, and it calls us to unity and fellowship with one another, not just with Christ himself, but with one another. Verses 10 through, 17, 10 through 12. I've got the um, latest update of the New International Version, and it has subheadings, and my subheading says, a church divided over leaders. I don't know what your church is divided over today, but maybe there will be something in here that will help you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there'll be no divisions among you, that you'll be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me, there's quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, and another says, I follow Cephas, and the really spiritual ones among you say, I follow Christ. He wants them to agree. These quarrels and these factions are getting to be so divisive in this church. They're getting all caught up in which preacher was their favorite. Do you have a favorite preacher? Maybe your pastor is your favorite preacher, right? Everybody say amen, right? right? But maybe you listen to somebody online. Maybe there's someone you love to hear. I, I told you, I love Billy Graham. You could listen to his sermons from the 50s all the time. You know, but they were getting all caught up into which one of them was their favorite. And they were dividing into parties. And I just grieve the fact that our nation today is divided into two political parties. 
I wish with all my heart that we had six or eight or ten because this is splitting us in half. And we're militant and we're angry and we talk about crossing the aisle. Nobody crosses the aisle. Everybody stays in their own camp. And this is what was going on, and it was going on in the first century, and it was going on in the church. Some are like, I follow what Paul says. And some are like, no, I follow what Apollo says. And others are like, no, 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 I follow Cephas. Cephas, of course, is another name for Peter. But the really spiritual ones are like, I follow Christ. So I don't know. I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say this. Whether you're United Methodist or Free Methodist or Nazarene or Baptist or Reformed, it does not matter. What matters is the cross of Christ. Why are we so divided on these things? Why can't we focus on what we have in common? God's family is big enough for some of these divisions on secondary issues. You know, there are such a thing as secondary issues. Why do we fight for them? And we won't fight for the cross. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? You know what? Know what you believe and know why you believe it. And be loyal to your tradition where God's placed you. But let me tell you something, friends. Don't, 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 don't forget the cross. Don't forget the cross. In verse 13, Paul says, this is how we should do it. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. What's another thing that, that divides us? Our views on baptism. Is it by sprinkling? Is it by pouring? Is it by immersion? Is it, by, is it for infants? Is it for uh, con confirmation time? Paul's like, I'm so glad I didn't get into that one. I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the whole household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't even remember. Paul's like, baptism is important, but it's not what my, my main ministry is, not a ministry of baptism. My ministry is a ministry of the cross. For Christ did not send me, verse 17, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The church was so full of divisions, it was affecting everything they did, from the way they worshipped, to the Lord's Supper, to taking each other to court, all of this is in 1 Corinthians, to gross immorality, and even in chapter 15, to denying the resurrection. But Christ is not divided. Nothing compares to the greatness of knowing you, God. Nothing compares to the finished work of Christ on the cross. I love this. Paul says it like, come on, you know, hello, wake up. I didn't die for your sins. Paul wasn't crucified for your sins. Apollos didn't rise on the third day. Peter didn't ascend into heaven. Okay, again, you guys, I hope you love me enough for me to say this. Neither did John or Charles Wesley, okay? Neither did Francis Asbury or Spurgeon or Moody or even Billy Graham. Wonderful, godly men. But they didn't die for our sins. They didn't rise again for our sins. Paul was so glad that he had not added to the factions. 
Man, this is my kind of preaching. I love this. I teach in an interdenominational ministry, so I can get a hold of something like this and run with it, okay? Paul was not sent to baptize. He was sent to preach the gospel. Why? So the cross would not be emptied of its power. So what do we learn? A principle. A principle is a truth about God or a truth about man or a truth about God and man that is universally true. So it was true in the first century. It was true in the time of the Reformation. It was true in the Enlightenment. It's true today. It'll be true tomorrow. A, a biblical principle is not necessarily a verse, although it can be a verse. Uh, a biblical principle uh, that, that I have learned what God says will happen, will happen. That's a biblical principle. It might not have an actual scriptural reference, but it's definitely in there. A, a principle that I learn here from this little section is that the focus of all Christian ministry has to be the cross of Christ. The focus of all Christian ministry must be the cross of Christ. So what's your focus when you come to the Lord's house on Sunday morning? What's your focus when you go to church another time, when you go to a Bible study, when you come to Bayshore? What's your focus? What is my focus? Is, is our focus seeing who's here and seeing what they're wearing? Is our focus going to church and making sure we avoid so-and-so because we just don't like them? Is all of our focus on the things that we don't like? We don't like the music. We don't like the offering, the way they did offering. We don't like the way they did communion. We don't like this. We don't like that. Where is the focus really? Is the focus on the size of the church and the numbers? Numbers are important because they reflect something, but you can have a small spiritual congregation that is mightier in the, in the eyes of the Lord than any megachurch out there. Where is your focus when you serve? I didn't say if you serve. I said where is your focus when you serve the Lord because you and I have been saved to serve. We've been all given a gift to build up the church of God, the body of Christ, but so often you and I are so busy focusing on ourselves that we don't focus on the Christ and we don't, the cross of Christ, and we don't even serve. The focus of all Christian ministry has to be on the cross of Christ. The cross calls us into fellowship with God. It calls us into fellowship with one another, and it's all about the message of the cross. So let's look at the message of the cross. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Foolishness. You know, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe it. It's stupidity. It makes no sense. Your God was executed like a common criminal. You decorate your churches and your bodies and your jewelry in the form of an ancient instrument of torture. 
Isn't that like wearing a necklace that has an electric chair on it or an, an, a needle from a lethal injection? This is beyond understanding. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God for once and all to deal with man's sin debt. It is the power of God to free those held captive by the devil. It's the power of God to solve man's biggest problem, the sin problem, and to satisfy God's holiness at the same time. And it's not just for any particular denomination or group or people. Verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. To the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. A stumbling block is something that causes you to trip. To them, it was scandalous, scandalian. We're, our English word scandalous comes from to believe that God died. God died. How could God die? And that God died a painful and a shameful death? The Jews couldn't wrap their minds around that because besides the Old Testament says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That just, it was just a huge stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, the message of the cross is foolishness because in the Gentile mind, the gods are capricious and the gods are demanding and their subjects must always placate them. Their subjects must always bring offerings to them, try to placate them. And for a god to sacrifice himself for his people, that is just ridiculous. And then to say that this god rose from the dead out of the tomb, what utter and complete nonsense. But to those whom he has called, has he called you? He knows your name. Has he called you? Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God, power over sin and death and hell, power of life eternal. He's wisdom. He is the perfect solution. In fact, to my friends, he's the only solution to God's just wrath at our sin. Poured out on his son, let him pay the price, then raise him up, never, ever, ever to be put down again. I got to tell you something, my friends. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not going to be born as a baby. And when he comes back, he's not going to the cross again. When he comes back, he will reign supreme. He will judge and put an end to all this gobbledygook, all the sin and all who reject him. But they were so caught up in who was the better preacher, they were so caught up in their personal preferences that they forgot the cross. And not only did they forget the cross, they forgot who they were when God called them. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. I love this. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before him. Not many were wise by human standards. Not too many PhDs. Not many were influential. Not too many E.F. Huttons. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Not too many were of normal birth, of noble birth. Not too many nobility. Normal, everyday nobodies, just like me, just like you, whom God called by his name so that his power, the power of the cross, might be displayed in their lives. How is the power of the cross being displayed in your life and in my life? I like John Piper. He says something about, let's see if I can get this right. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When he's our everything and we're satisfied in him, that's when he's glorified. How satisfied are you with Jesus Christ today? So the power of the cross so that no one can boast. It's not about who they were. It's not about which preacher they preferred or which party they affiliated with. It's about Jesus. I love love 30, verse 30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, because of God, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, it's all because of the cross. Our only hope is because of the cross. Let's go into chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my burning passion, Paul says. You take all the rest and hang it. I don't care. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know the power of his resurrection. I want you somehow, too, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's my message. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Boy, can I relate to that. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith not, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let me tell you something. Paul was educated. Paul was eloquent. Paul could speak. He knew when he addressed the Corinthians, he had to check that all at the door because the Greek culture was so impressed with wisdom, with knowledge, with big words they didn't understand. Oh, they thought that person must really have it all together. That person's really telling the truth. So a speaker came in and they were trained in rhetoric and they had all these big phrases and, and they said all these big theological words and the more they put it in, the more people followed them. They didn't have a clue what they were saying, but that's how the Greek culture went. They put so much emphasis on education. Is education important? Yes, get an education if you possibly can. In the kingdom of God, if you're lacking an education, can he use you anyway? Can he equip you? Can he enable you to give the power of the cross out? My friends, I stand before you as a woman with a 12th grade education, not one college course, 
oh, I sometimes wish I would have went to Bible college, but I didn't. So I come to you in fear and trembling with weakness, and my message and my words to you are not wise, they're not big, they're not gigantic. It's not to impress you, it's not so you think I'm something. My message to you is look to the cross of Christ. This was Paul's one consuming passion, and it's becoming more and more my consuming passion. The older I get, the more I study, the more I think about the cross. I think about his cross. And I think about Jesus dying there. And I, all these songs run through my mind, you know, and I just could go on and on. But every time I close my eyes, I see the nails, I hear the cries. He did not keep his self away. He was no stranger to my pain. He walked a mile in my shoes. If that isn't love, my friends, I don't know what is. Why would Jesus Christ love me? Why would he care about me? 2,000 years later, a little bit of nobody and a little bit of nobody, Flint, Michigan. Because of his great grace and because he is wisdom from God and because he is my righteousness and my holiness and my redemption, therefore, my friends, I'm going to boast in the Lord. I had a Sunday school class that I taught a number of years ago, and we had one of the couples over for dinner, and I said, yeah, come on, I want you to come over for dinner. I make a mean lasagna. And he said, Bonnie, I've never heard you brag about anything. I said, well, let me brag only in the cross. I don't want to brag in myself. Let me boast in the cross. Paul left, laid aside the rhetoric. He laid aside the elaborate speech. He laid aside himself, which we're going to talk about that tomorrow. He laid aside any type of manipulation. He wasn't coming in there with great emotion and swaying them. Do you know what I'm saying? He wasn't trying to work up the crowd. He was trying to give them the gospel plain and simple to point men and women to the cross, never ever to himself. And the Corinthians may have forgotten the cross. Paul never did. Paul never could. Later in one of his epistles, he says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. I bear in my body the marks of the cross. My friends, the cross of Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God for the salvation. It's the wisdom of God. It's, the, it's healing, strength, salvation, grace, mercy, love. This is what D.L. Moody said. Our failure is that preachers ignore the cross and veil Christ with sapless sermons and superfine language. I think the Apostle Paul was setting man to that. He was trying to leave that superfine language behind. When I teach, I try to teach as if no one had ever heard it before. Kind of hard here because I feel like y'all have heard it before, but that's my goal when I teach, to make it that simple. Maybe you're here today and you're really accomplished. Maybe you make a mean lasagna too. What are you boasting in today? Are you boasting in your accomplishments? Man, there are some family legacy and heritage, and that's wonderful. Are you boasting in your family? Are you boasting in your education? Are you boasting in your good driver's record? Are you a very good driver? You know, are you boasting in anything? How would your life change if you resolved from here on out never to brag or boast about anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified? Would that make a difference in your life? Man, grandma and grandpa, you pull out those pictures of those grandkids. 
I haven't got there yet, okay? My kids are married, but we don't have any grandkids. You should boast on those grandkids. I could boast on my daughter. In fact, I probably did that a little bit this week in a few conversations, you know? But what if we resolved to boast nothing in Jesus except for Jesus Christ? And you can't boast about what you don't know. You can't boast about who you don't know. So, in what ways will you resolve to know Jesus Christ, to study his word, to sit at his feet, to speak to him in prayer, and to fall so passionately head over heels in love with him that nothing else matters? When our, son, when our son-in-law came to us, he said to my husband, I want to, Emily was away at college, she's at Olivet Nazarene University, and, and she still had, she was in her third year, so she still had another year to go, and Andrew was working in Ohio at the time, and he called Danny. He said, I'm going to be home this weekend. Can I talk to you? And Danny said, sure, come on over. So we're thinking, okay, we, we kind of had an idea where this was going. So my son and his girlfriend, he's been dating this girl for four years, are sitting on the couch, and there I am. And the door knocks, and in comes Andrew. And I said, let's go in the basement. So he, Andrew didn't ask to speak to me, but I went with him. And he sat down there and we talked and he said, could he marry our daughter? And, and, you know, he said, I want you to know that ever since I've met Emily, he said, no other woman in the world exists for me. What if that's how we felt since I met Jesus? No other savior, no other foundation, no other friend, no other lover. Man, even exists for me. In what ways will you choose as an act of your will to live in the shadow of the cross. If you're living in the shadow of the cross, you're close. You're really close. Because the shadow only goes so far. Will you live that close to the cross that you are living in its shadow? The cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is where the battle line is. We do hold up the blood-stained banner of the cross. We do fight for the cross. We fight for truth. Some of these other factions and other things that happen in our lives and in our churches, man, they're just not worth it. They're just not worth it. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to you to? And is there someone that you need to go to and ask for their forgiveness? So these factions can be diminished and healed. It had to be a cross of love for God to bruise his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do we love our traditions? Do we love our heritage? Do we love our way of doing things? Nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. Or do we love and embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. Is the cross just for Easter? <laughs> it wasn't right. Yeah. Is the cross just for Easter? Is the cross just for pastors and missionaries and evangelists? The cross impacts all believers are in all that we do. Every single one of us is called to live in the shadow of the cross. The cross has application, not just for salvation, but for every single day. If someone were to ask you, like they asked Jimmy Braddock, what motivates you? What are you fighting for? Will you truly be able to say, the cross of Jesus Christ? I fight for the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else.
Are you tired? Are you getting tired of hearing me talk about the cross? Or is the cry of your heart, Jesus, keep me near the cross? The cross of Christ, horrible, awful, terrible, and beautiful at the same time. Let's have the next song, please. a beautiful, terrible cross, where though you committed no sin, Savior, you suffered the most wicked fate on the cruelest creation of men. Yet on that beautiful, terrible cross, you did what only you could. Turning that dark inspired evil of hell into our soul's greatest good. was strong on that hill You remain sovereign Lord still in control as your perfect plan was fulfilled cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. 
thank you, Heavenly Father God, that you loved us so much that you didn't spare your own only begotten Son, your one and only, but you sent him to die for us, to be the propitiation for our sins, to, take the, to be the appeasement of God's wrath at our sin, and to make us new and to make us strong. And it wasn't just for salvation. It was to give us eternal life, abundant life today and tomorrow and for all eternity. And it's all because of the cross. Oh, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would have a fresh perspective because we're so close that the cross is shadowing everything that we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.